This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name's Julie Hudson. I'm a research analyst from the ESG team at UBS Research, and I'm here with my ESG colleague, Vicky Kalb. In this episode, we're going to be taking a high-level look at COP26. Julie, if I could start, please, with a question around the fact that you've seen several COPs during your tenure running the UBS ESG research team. What, if anything, feels different about this one? Okay, so I, I confess I've never actually attended a COP myself, so I've always been an observer from afar. And what's tended to happen historically seems to have been a boost to the profile of the relevant COP about every seven years with a new assessment report from the IPCC, that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. This year, of course, assessment report six is having exactly that effect. But what's different this year is I absolutely didn't feel to be at a distance. And that's not just because it was up the railway track, so to speak, in Glasgow. This year's COP26 came across as an emotional, immersive close-up COP because everybody I know seems to be personally concerned about global warming as an existential threat or engaged in some way with managing mitigation and adaptation from an investment perspective or both. So, Vicky, thinking about what's different, um, before the COP began, Professor Rockstrom of the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research said that COP26 needed to be a nature climate COP. Do you think this was achieved? I think partially, yes. If I go back to thinking about how much visibility there's been at this one, which you mentioned, there's been certainly an enormous amount of attention paid to biodiversity and nature issues, whether that's the deforestation pledge or just a, a sort of increased general attention being paid to the issue. So one of my key takeaways from this is that my interpretation seems that, or it feels to be, that people are now recognizing that you cannot solve for climate change without also solving for biodiversity and nature loss. The other thing I think is interesting is we've hosted several expert speakers recently who are all talking about an increased sense of urgency, an increased sense of speed, which is really important. And two other things I would say is that there's also a general increase in the discussion around nature-based solutions, which are exactly what they sound like. It's where you're using nature to solve for a climate change related issue. There seems to be growing recognition that those solutions can be cheaper, they can be more effective, but that also we need to recognize that nature and natural systems are being damaged at an unprecedented rate. And if this continues, as I mentioned at the outset, we simply won't be able to solve for climate change. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that we in this team tend to talk about emotional issues that resonate with the general public, having an additional knock-on effect where politicians start to pay more attention, where you start to see market impact. And I think that nature and biodiversity loss are one of those topics more broadly that do resonate with the general public. They're very emotional. People get feel very invested in them. And this in and of itself could drive change. Now, Julie, if I could go back to you and ask, there seems to have been a lot of private sector involvement at this COP, which may have been unusual. Um, 
how do you think about the public versus private sector interplay and what is required to address climate change? Okay, so the, the Glasgow Climate Pact itself, which of course is a government thing, really puts three messages across. There's the sense of urgency because we're not on track for one and a half degrees. Um, the work around several specific areas, such as methane mitigation, halting deforestation and phasing out combustion engines, for instance, calls the need to uh, calls attention to the need to be specific, geospatially speaking. And thirdly, the predicament of small island states and developing countries was clearly communicated, and that puts a huge emphasis on the just transition. So if you put all of that together with the broader engagement with this COP, the real message is governments cannot do this alone. Civil society and markets absolutely have to be in the mix. I think that came across really clearly uh, just from the whole way the COP itself was conducted. And that really brings us to a key question for us here at UBS. Uh, Vicky, where do you see market involvement? I think I'd start by answering that question with saying, I find it very interesting that it feels to me that climate change as a markets or business issue is no longer being relegated to, if you were, the fringes of capital markets. And as, as you mentioned earlier just now, it's now everywhere. And I think we're getting to the realization that it's difficult to see any sector or any business model that won't be affected by this in some way at some point. Obviously, certain sectors have an earlier impact than later sectors. And then the other thing to think about that we discuss a lot is that you have risk and opportunity here. For example, the opportunity that gets mentioned very frequently might be electric vehicles or renewables. And then you have risks, which just as an example, might be supply chain disruption. But I think the really interesting thing that we're picking up on is that these risks and opportunities are now being discussed as integral part and parcel of standard financial analysis, rather than being treated as a separate special issue. Thank you to everybody on the line for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. It was an introduction and overview of COP26 with me, Vicky Kalb, as well as Julie Hudson, and we're both equity research analysts in the ESG and sustainability research team at UBS. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.